0: Bibles to Acts chapter 20, we're in Acts 20, verses 17 through 36, Acts 20, verses 17 through 36, and God's word says this, now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him, and when they came to him, he said to them, And the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he'd said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Please be seated. Let's pray one more time and ask the Lord to help us as we encounter his text. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being here today. Thank you for your word. We do thank you for the power of your love that we just sang about, that uh, is, has entered us, is 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 in us through the Holy Spirit. We pray that by that Holy Spirit that we would have the power we need even to interact with your text and to see what's there for us. Meet our needs, we pray. Convict us, humble us, encourage us, that combination of things we need from you as we read your word and think through it today together. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen. So there was a time, where it seemed like you know the old business books were merging with the Christian world and and uh, you could hardly tell the difference between the two. There were a lot of of uh, secular business books called uh oh like jesus CEO things like that and there were there were ways to try to merge the two and and I got caught up a little bit into some of that, I have to say uh, It was more prevalent, I think, a couple of decades ago. It was a book that really impacted me and still does from that era. And I even took the title of the sermon from that book. And, and that's one I do recommend called Good to Great. Um, but there was a time then when I read a, a book called Escape from Church, Inc. And that was incredibly helpful. Oh, that was so good. Escape from Church, Inc. Uh, kind of set a few people back on the right track had an associate pastor who was on staff down there at the church I was at at the same time, and he recommended this book uh, about shepherding, and it was called, They Smell Like Sheep. And he was saying, how can you tell when a person's a shepherd, a person's a shepherd if he's smelling like the sheep? If a guy says, I'm a shepherd, but he smells like cologne, he's probably not been a shepherd out there with the sheep. And it was taking away from all these business models and these flow charts and all of these things and saying, Shepherd the flock of God. John Piper wrote a book called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. And what he was talking about there was to say, You're a pastor, and there's something about being a pastor in a church that's different than being a professional class leader out there doing your thing in a businessy type of a way. Uh, Those things help, and we look at scriptures and we say, well, all truth is God's truth, and so there are principles that are in the scripture that can definitely help uh, you in all of your endeavors. But there's something about the church that is unique to the world, and it's God's church. And what we are seeing this morning is uh, Paul talking as he is departing, and he's got these elders from Ephesus And he gives us some insight into the church and what matters. And we can learn a lot from this. Uh, I did like that book, uh, Good to Great. And I even took the title from that book. Um, Jim Collins, who wrote that book after a lot of research, uh, was not a believer. And he said to somebody in an interview I saw, he said, I've got to start reading the Bible and figuring it out. He said, people are coming up to me and talking about these principles. uh, And they're saying there's so much Bible in there. But well, one thing that that book talked about was leaders. And and we see this in, in churches. We see this with Paul this morning. The difference between good companies and great companies is what Collins found out through his research is what happens when a good leader steps down to retirement. He leaves to take on a different challenge or something like that. And there are people that say, see when I left, that company went downhill. That means I was a good leader because it needed me. Uh, sad to say, there are times where you think of pastors and, 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 and some have said, well, when I left, um, boy, the life just kind of went out of that place. I must have been a really good leader. And we're all going, no, you were a really bad leader because there's a succession plan that has to be there. Uh, Paul worked hard but Paul's point was to, to, to set up the gospel of the kingdom he served God and he served the gospel and he served the people and his goal was not to say when I'm gone you'll, you'll really miss me because I won't be here to do all your stuff you won't have me to kick around anymore I think as some, some past leader said you won't have that no the
1: opposite is true and a good leader is part of an organization that
0: flourishes even greater after he or she is gone. Examples of poor leadership in preparing for long-term success. FDR not even meeting with Harry Truman. Busy running around with uh, Lucy Rutherford and not getting Mr. Truman ready and when that death came down there in Warm Springs, Georgia and Truman came in not even having met as president to vice president and having
1: monumental decisions on his shoulders. Examples of professional sports people that exist to carry on a legacy. A player is a great football player but in his waning years, is he pouring into others?
0: I want us to think about this morning and apply these things very directly to our church and to our denomination and who we are as Christians. Uh, we, we do believe that uh, Christianity is a personal relationship with God. You don't get saved, you don't become part of, a, uh, of God's kingdom just because you're a member of a church. But on the other hand, we know the Bible is true. God saves people to place them into churches. And there is a, a working, the, the church is his bride. And so we hold both of those to be 100% true. It's not either or. And I want us to think this morning, even as we read this passage, about ourselves and what legacy we pass on for God. Not legacy and monument to ourselves, but we see Paul leaving. He knows he's going to die. He calls these elders from Ephesus and he gives them in that spirit, here's what needs to
1: happen to go on. Listen to this. An old man going a lone highway came
0: at the evening cold and gray to a chasm vast and deep and wide through which was flowing a sullen tide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim. The sullen stream had no fear for him, but he turned when safe on the other side and built a bridge to span the tide. Old man, said a fellow pilgrim near, you're wasting your strength with building here. Your journey will end with the ending day. You never again will pass this way. You've crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build this bridge at evening tide? The builder lifted his old gray head. Good friend, in the path I have come, he said, there followed after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. This chasm that has been as naught to me, to that fair-haired youth may a pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I'm building this bridge for him. We don't coast in our years into heaven. Say, well, we had to work through this. Now it's up to them to fight through what we fought through. The Christian life is a series of handing down. The Bible talks about generations and generations and generations. And this level five leader that Collins talked about that could have lifted from the pages of scripture is one who cares more about those they are leaving behind than they do about themselves and their so-called reputation and Paul called the elders to him he was on a boat he was done that missionary journey was over he was going to Jerusalem he was going to be uh, persecuted he said I'll never see your face again Get out there. And it took about three, some, some commentators say three days, some say four days, just trying to figure out how they would have traveled and the routes they would have taken to gather the leaders of the churches. Uh, it calls them elders in one place. It calls them leaders in another. We're not sure um, uh, what had been established yet. We know later Paul would write instructions for elders, instructions for deacons, and church offices would take shape. But these are our elders. These are church leaders. And they gathered them, and they came uh, to this Presbytery meeting. They came to hear what Paul had to say to them. And you bet they came not to argue and debate. They came to listen and learn and to weep and to say farewell to the one who brought them the gift of eternal life, uh, Jesus Christ giving that to them and using Paul as the vehicle. So this morning, we're getting a glimpse into this wonderful, selfless leader named Paul. And of course, it will point us to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Of course it will. And this will give us, hopefully, some fuel in our important calling and our important task at Christ the Shepherd. As we live lives for God in the in-between times, other than Sundays, as we live for God. So I want us to see uh, three things. The approach to God's people, the approach to God's calling, and then the approach to the future labor for the Lord. So we learn from God's uh, leading in Paul and Paul's approach to people. Paul said, I have lived among you, first of all, in verse 18. I have lived among you. You yourselves know how I've lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. He wasn't just fly in, fly out. He wasn't just preach his sermon, sneak out a little door in the back and go to his place and see you next week and the rest of you. He lived among them.
1: They knew his schedule. He labored and worked. He wasn't aloof. He wasn't elite.
0: And as we remember, Paul saying in another one of his letters to people, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And can we not even help but think of Jesus Christ? Paul, living among the people that he was sharing the gospel with and teaching about Jesus, uh, was Christ-like. We talk about Jesus being incarnational. The Bible says, uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we realize we're talking about Jesus when it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, pitched his tent among us. Uh, we're on this camping trip, and he he came and put his tent up right in the middle. He roasted his marshmallows and hot dogs with us and sang campfire songs and and maybe even taught us a few things about uh, camping while we we were at it. I don't know. But he lived and he walked and he dwelt among us. We know that his purpose was to live among us and live a perfect life and die on the cross and do what we couldn't do when he died for us. But he dwelt among us. And Paul said, the approach to people is to live among the people. I've lived among you. You've known that. Then in 19, he says, I've served the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. He served with tears and trials. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. You've heard that before. He didn't go for the easier route or the ministry where he could coast. And there were tears and trials. And he was, uh, every little town on these journeys, it seemed like he ended up getting beat up and run out on a rail, left for dead, uh, riots happening or having to, to leave and leave his friends there to get beat up as they a- escorted him out and that's maybe as painful as as the rest. But he was there not just for the good times. He was there for the good times, the hard times, the bad times. He lived among them and there was no uh, candy coating or sugar coating what the life that he was there to do would lead to.
1: And is this not what Jesus did as well? Jesus who was tempted like we are,
0: yet without sin. Jesus who sweated as it were great drops of blood and said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not
1: my will, but thine be done. Paul was following Jesus, and Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus.
0: We see else, elsewhere, in, in addition, in his approach to God's people, the comprehensive teaching and the gospel proclamation. Verses 20 and 21, he said, You know how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a series of couplets in here. Uh, that, that, that span these things. Let's break it down and look at it for a minute. His comprehensive teaching and his gospel proclamation. First of all, he said, I didn't teach you, I didn't shrink from declaring
1: to you anything that was profitable. I didn't hold back. Today, are we going to limit ourselves to the gospel and not the gospel application. Some people say, well,
0: just teach the gospel and don't get involved in any of the social things of the world. Now, I'm not saying a church should say, uh, we're for this particular political party in this particular country at this time, or that particular party. But there are social issues that encompass us that we must speak out on and not just keep it within the doors of the church. I grew up as a kid, and and, and I'm so thankful my parents would read these stories of, uh, uh, oh, the, behind the iron curtain and the bamboo curtain, talking about what it was like for Christians who really had to struggle to meet for their faith and under, under these uh, socialistic systems that... The cult of, of 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 the power of the people and the government and everything lined up, and Christians sticking out like a sore thumb that needed to just be beat back down. And do you know that there were churches that were allowed in Russia, even under communism, and they could say to the rest of the world, "Yeah, there's a church. See, we're we're not we're not like you. Say you're lying to us. Look at there's churches." But those churches could only meet at certain hours. Evangelism was outlawed. There were spies in there finding out who was the churches. I talked to a a girl in Ukraine, a young lady in Ukraine, and she told me about how she had been baptized as an infant because her grandma snuck her in to have her baptized and didn't even tell her parents because her parents would have gone to the prison camp had they known and and so paul said i didn't shrink from telling you everything i didn't just keep it what the communist world would say to us is boy we had to just uh, keep it inside our church if we went why are you guys keeping it inside your church voluntarily paul said I didn't shrink from telling you everything you needed to know. Uh, Boy, we need to know the essential thing, the main thing, the number one thing, the thing you better know, and that is that Jesus Christ is the substitutionary sacrifice
1: for our sins and we must put our faith in him. But Christianity also transcends transcends
0: into the rest of our life. Paul said, in enhancing this, he said, look, I didn't shrink from declaring from you anything that was profitable and teaching you where? In public and from house to house. Uh, Wherever there was a place to share the gospel, I went. Publicly, I could do that in Ephesus. I would go into houses then. Mass evangelism. Small discipleship. All of that, he said, took advantage of every opportunity. You see Jesus in the same way when he was on earth. For a while, the early part of his ministry, especially when they were flocking for the miracles, there was mass evangelism. There was Sermon on the Mount, and then they talk about the Sermon on the Plane in Luke, which is not an airplane, but a a different kind of a plane. Uh, You see him... Spending time one-on-one with people who came to him. You see him going out of his way to spend one-on-one with people. And and Paul said, I was the same way in Ephesus. He said, Jews and Greeks, verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks. Uh, if it seems like I say it, Every week, it's almost because I have to, it's in the text every week. The race issue that we have in our country, we have people trying to divide, build resentment, build hatreds, all of these things, and divide, divide, divide. The Bible says the race issue can be solved easily. The gospel is for all. You're a Christian, you're my brother, or you're my sister. And Paul said, I didn't just go to the Jewish people. I didn't just go to the Greeks. All races, everywhere. And that's who the gospel is for. Jesus' death is for, uh, when it talks about the whole world, all people, all kinds of people came. And it says in heaven, around the throne, people of every tribe, tongue, nation, language, there they are. And Paul is talking about his approach to people. And we are trying to learn from his approach to people and saying, there is no one. There's no sin category that we will say, the gospel is not for you. You've just sinned too much. That's the unpardonable, whatever we want to say that is. And we have in our history wonderful examples, even in our current history, of people from every type of lifestyle, every type of of, uh, social caste, every type of group, that God reaches in through his Holy Spirit and saves them. And Paul's approach is to say, no one. Uh, there was a youth organization I liked. I don't know how they're doing these days or anything, but a lot of, the, of them in that youth organization would have become PCA pastors. I know that, so I liked them for that. But they had a slogan that said, to reach the farthest kid out there. And they were not afraid of whatever anybody was into. Share the gospel. Reach them. So Paul said it's a comprehensive
1: teaching and gospel proclamation and a key part of that comprehensiveness. And
0: thankfully, this is not left out because this is the important couplet that's there in that section. He said in verse 21, the first part of it, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, but what did he testify to them of? What was this message that he proclaimed to them in the public and in house to house? That message involved two things. The end of verse 21. Testifying of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That is so important. What if a person said, I'm going to repent and I'll stop there. Repentance but no faith in Jesus. Ah, oh, what a prison to live in. <laughs> I wouldn't want to live in that one. If I had to take the two, if you had to take one or the other, of repentance with no faith or faith with no repentance, uh, both are going to end you up in hell if you don't have both of them together. But boy, I'd rather live with the faith without the repentance part because that would kill you. That was Martin Luther before he got saved. Uh, Paul said repentance, understanding that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that our sins have separated us from God. That old preacher in Iowa that used to say, you can't get them saved until you get them lost. And that's true. Um, he taught repentance. Repentance. But the old theologians would say it's like two sides of the same coin. They called them sisters, theological sisters. I read somebody back in seminary that said that. Repentance and faith. On one side is repentance, on the other side is faith. Faith in Jesus Christ then. Repentance for your sins. Acknowledging your need, but acknowledging at the same time that you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, who, who you can place your faith in. And Paul said, that's what I did. That was my approach to people. I'll make a quick application to our church even now before the next point. How do we follow Paul as Paul followed Christ? How are we trying to do that here at this church in this, in this great city that we live in? How can we live among the people? Well, one thing that I'm pretty excited about, I check, double-checked it with Anna, but as soon as the, um, as soon as the Chinese church came in, we got a call from Pastor Ye. Now, I got an email from Pastor Ye, and I didn't follow it up. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm finding out about the Chinese folks that run that church. They are good and efficient and wonderful, and they're going to make me a better person. <laughs> so Pastor Ye sends me an email. I didn't respond back within a 24-hour period, so he called me. There's a Chinese school. And these folks, and he put me in touch, and I had the conversation with this woman. And and for a couple hours uh, on a Saturday afternoon, they want their kids to learn Mandarin. The woman said, I really, my main goal in this is I want my kids to be able to speak to my parents back in China. And they don't want to have them lose their heritage while they're here. So there's Chinese dance, there's little cultural things, and and we made sure it's not anything to do with uh with the Chinese Communist Party, it's the Chinese people, the beautiful, wonderful Chinese people. And it looks like, and we're proceeding toward them coming in here for a couple of reasons. Uh, one reason is um, some of them are Christians and they're our brothers and sisters. We want, to, we want their lives to be better. Some of them aren't yet, but this puts them in closer proximity with Christians from the Chinese church, with us, because I'm going to be here and saying hello and greeting. And it's What an opportunity. We would want to go out, and we would want to love everyone in our community. And boy, there's these wonderful Chinese people in our community. And they want to come to us? Great. And so the elders have made that decision to proceed and talk about that. That was one of the things we decided uh, last Tuesday night. And so the ball is rolling. It may happen. It may not happen. But we would like it to happen. We think it's biblical for it to happen. God's given us a means in ascending people. Praise God. Um, there's a new AA group that wants to meet, an all-women's AA group, in the evenings, a couple of nights. Well, praise God. We always say we are such dupes as God had to give us the building. We weren't smart enough to go out and get a building as church planters, but God just gave us this beautiful building to worship in, and that's why we want to use it for kingdom work, and as much as we can use it for God's kingdom, we want to do that. And I think that may be what Paul would have wanted to do and how he would have approached things. We pray for open doors. We take advantage of open doors. We're not shrinking from declaring anything that is profitable. We don't just limit it, uh, trying to thread a needle and not be political because we don't want people to think that if you vote the quote-unquote right way, whatever that way might be, And and we don't want them to think that's going to give you a ticket to heaven uh, and not salvation by faith through Christ. But there are moral issues in our day that are profitable. And we don't want to shrink from that. We don't want to say, well, if we get really involved in saying that's not just a clump of cells, but that's really a person with fingerprints and brain activity and separate DNA and, and a different blood type in some cases, a different sex in some cases... And that's a real human being made in God's image. And the Bible, uh, along with science, tells us that God is knitting that person together in the mother's womb. That is important information. That's something that I don't believe Paul would have shrunk from telling. It's important for you to know that so that you don't have this guilt later on. I killed my baby, or I encouraged that. So we do take a stand on those issues, but we also take a stand to say this, even if you are the most right in all these secular issues and all that, and you stand in front of God not knowing Jesus, Jesus will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. And sometimes the hardest thing to say is, your works righteousness and your self-righteousness do not equal the righteousness of God. And so, We want to and we try. And we don't want to hide anything under a bushel. We don't want to make the world love us so much that they don't even hear that there's a gospel. Paul took a risk. He risked getting beat up every time he went into town. And you know what? It was the same way. Uh, It's been the same way ever since. You declare the gospel. You throw the truth out there as good as you can with Scripture. Some people will believe, and the Holy Spirit will open their hearts and minds, and some will believe, and some
1: will get mad. That's just how it is. That's how Paul dealt with people. Look at what he said in uh, down here for 30, verses 36
0: and 37 later on. Uh, actually, 20, 27. 27. Uh, typo in my in my
1: notes, but he said this: I did not. Verse thirty-one. Therefore, be alert,
0: remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God in the word of His grace, which is able to build you up. I didn't covet anyone silver or gold. You know that what we did, we did for you and not for ourselves. His approach to people. We look at his approach to his calling from God. We understand that we have a calling from God. If you were saved, if you became a Christian, and this is even Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, these elders that he was talking to, we know that famous verse that says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But then I love it when people memorize and preach Ephesians and nine. but when they tack on that verse 10, because that's as critical. For we are his workmanship, his uh, poem, I believe, is the Greek, his poem that he's writing. Uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he created beforehand that we should walk in them. And you're like, wow. I'm a Christian, what do I do now? Well, he's got these great things for you to do, and you're going you're gonna to do great things for the Lord as you live. It's salvation, and it's a purpose in life all of a sudden. It's a calling, and we all have a calling. We have individual areas where we can influence and pray for, for God's work, but the beautiful thing is he puts us in a church, and a church has a calling as people, and that's, that's more wonderful to me. I'll take the individual assignments, but boy, I I kind of like the I like the brotherhood and the camaraderie and the uh, the war stories afterwards and the licking our wounds afterwards and the encouragement that comes and all of
1: that. We have a calling, as Paul had a calling. Let's look at how Paul viewed his own calling. He was
0: headed into trouble. We do, verses twenty-two through twenty-five, which I will not read, but but we've read them and you've got it perhaps open in your lap. We don't know how he knew about the coming persecution, but we knew that he knew something was happening, and yet he knew the Lord was leading him to Jerusalem. Uh, However, it worked between God and his apostle. He knew he was supposed to go to Jerusalem. That's clear from the text. He knew that when he went to Jerusalem, it was not going to be good for him bodily, but he knew he had to go. We ourselves may not have those types of specifics, but we know the direction things are headed for us. Jesus said, if they treat the master of the house this way, how will they treat the servants? True Christians will never be at home in Babylon, even though we may serve in Babylon. We do our jobs in Babylon. Daniel served in two administrations in Babylon in captivity. And uh, his buddies served there as well. those three ended up in a fiery furnace, and Daniel ended up in a lion's den, and and it wasn't all just fun and games. And they lived for God, but their home and their citizenship was not Babylon. Their citizenship was heaven. We live here. This world assigns us to be citizens here. There's processes for different countries to be citizens. Uh, But our real citizenship is in heaven. And we live here, we do what we can here, but we don't get too comfortable here. This is not where we get to stay. And truth be told, it's not where we want to stay. And truth be told, as if we could go to heaven for even five minutes and come back,
1: we'd be chomping at the bit <laughs> to get back up there. Knew he was headed into trouble. Knew it wouldn't be easy. In our calling,
0: it's not necessarily going to be easy. He was also aware that there was something going on that was much bigger than him. Verse twenty four, he said, "But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel is bigger than you, but it includes you. It makes you bigger than yourself. It absorbs you. The gospel is is what we've been saved to participate in, to share, to live." It's our life. Uh, the Bible uses radical terms. I was dead in trespasses and sins, and now I've been made alive. How different can you get opposite uh, from death and life?
1: And if you've been saved, you've been made alive when you were formerly dead spiritually. On this earth, you do something great, you die.
0: They make a statue of you. The birds come and poop on it. The guy who has to clean the park and mow the yard gets mad and he has to get his weed whacker because he can't just mow that yard. He resents the statue. Maybe historical times shift and they pull your statue down and stomp on you and throw some paint on you and all that stuff. Who knows what happens. That's your earthly legacy anyway. You want to make a good mark on this earth but the only way you can make the best mark on this earth is to make it a spiritual mark, and that's for heaven. That's Jesus saying, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If your name's written in that Lamb's book of life, no one's going to desecrate that. That is sacred. That's protected. That's where you want to be. We want to do as good as we can here. We want to be salt and light. We want to help as many people as we can here. But our goal and our life and the stuff we accumulate it needs to be heavenly and
1: spiritual. And it makes me want to cry sometimes when I think of all the stuff I was so excited about. There's something bigger than
0: your life but that also makes your life bigger. That's what Paul said. I account my life as Nothing. Yet he wanted to live. He didn't go jump off a cliff so he could get to heaven. He wanted to do something big. That's what we get to do while we're here. Good. Good for us. Uh, Paul's point with the Ephesian elders was not to talk about himself as the centerpiece. The The biographical points he was making here were made in the context of tears, and of him being the chief of sinners saved by God's grace. And it was to prepare these leaders for what was to come. So real quickly, this last point before we go to the table. Paul's approach to the future labor for the Lord. He told these elders, first of all, watch out for yourselves. Verse 28a, pay careful attention to yourselves. Later he would say to Timothy, guard your life and your doctrine closely. Then he said, watch out for the flock. You've got an obligation, you Ephesian elders, to look out for the flock. Guard them. God made them overseers of the flock. Uh, the, the trick, the, the, uh, the linguistic trick in here, the, the question that a couple of them had is he bought them, uh, which he obtained with his own blood. And there's a couple of, of options for translation, uh, but they both come back to the same thing. We're talking about Jesus' blood. He purchased you. Uh, the Bible says in other places, you are not your own, but you're bought with the price. And you look out for the people that you were spiritually in charge of. You look out, you love them. They're
1: not your people. They're God's. Your kids. is my kid. Well, you're, you're right.
0: God's kid. God trusted you with them. Look out, church leaders. Look out, Christians. Look out, elders. Watch out for yourselves, watch out for the flock. He says, fierce wolves will come in, and some of these will be homegrown wolves. And boy, you just think about it, as some of these mighty, wonderful, godly denominations just tumble and fall, and you go, that's not even in the Bible, what are they doing? What's going on with all of this? And you say, man, and who's coming up through the ranks? Who's coming up through our ranks? Are they bored with the gospel? Are they embarrassed of the gospel? Are they they so overcome by the stuff in the world that they think the world won't like us, and so we got to add and and maybe even drown out the gospel from time to time and hide it under a bushel? No. And so uh, he's saying exactly what has happened. The question about uh, guarding the church's purity and peace, we spent some time on that Tuesday night. What does that mean? Uh, The purity, the, the doctrinal. The peace of the church, more easily understood, but what is the purity? What is the gospel? How do we keep from drifting into works righteousness? How do we keep from drifting into substituting something good and beautiful and eternal just for the approval of man to go along with the, the world crowd and, the, and, the, and what's being shown us and sung to us
1: and, and preached at us uh, from, with all the religious fervor from our secular pulpits? He says, be alert. It's a Warning to us. Application, conclusion, and then we, we go to this table.
0: I wanted to emphasize verse 31. He said, I did it with tears. I didn't cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. God, please temper our anger when we see things in the world that are anti-you. God, God don't let me lose... Uh, Righteous indignation, but I can tell you me personally, it's too fine of a line for me. I want to go around and justify myself and be righteously indignant all the time. I can't do that without sinning, and maybe you can't either. God, give me tears. Give me weakness. Give me sadness. Give me an understanding of what's going on, but don't don't let me uh, rise up and retaliate. There may be people that are happy when, when I'm dead or, or, or want to cancel us out and wipe us out and what we believe in. We don't want a fate like that with these people that are, have their eyes blinded. Give us tears for the world. Give us the ability to turn the other cheek. Please, Lord, help us. And Paul preached with tears. Help me to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Second thing he talked about, verses 33 and 34, without distraction or love of money did not hand them a book like I got in not in seminary, but way back in Bible college all these years ago, different denomination long ago far away. a guy came in and gave us a seminar on how to take bigger offerings true story <laughs> uh, and even then a couple of us shook our heads and said that's not what the church is supposed to be about <laughs> how to take give bigger offerings he said don't 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 let them when the offering plates pass don't let them hand like other sheets of paper in if they're coming to something, because everybody feels an obligation to give something. If they do that, they'll put that in. They won't put money in. Think about that. That's not what Paul did. Paul says, I'm not about the money. I'm not about getting rich off, you guys. I'm not about taking and, 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 and growing an organization with money. He said, I did it with my own hands. He probably even held his hands up there in verse 33 when he got there. Verse 32, then he said, I built Christians up with the word. The word of his grace is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Focus on that. Finally, he gives the words of Jesus. And what's interesting, he says, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's nowhere recorded in the Gospels. How do we know Jesus said it then? Because it's recorded in Acts that Jesus said it, and we believe that. Think about Jesus saying it's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus modeled this. He gave payment rather than extracted payment. He gave, gave, gave. We have Jesus who gives us the desire then to do this because of the Holy Spirit who's enabling us to do this. And even if before we were Christians, we were takers, all of a sudden he saved us. And by his Holy Spirit, by the yearnings he puts into us, by changing our perspective on life, he turns us into givers, givers rather than takers. And the end result of our lives, no matter what happens here, it does say in one place where Jesus was a receiver. Maybe it's more, but there's one that I'm thinking of. He said, and this is where we end it, and this is where we take our perspective and everything we've heard, whatever's come out to us in the text. We we hold on to that. We say, Lord, help me apply this. And we end with this. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And here's where he receives us unto himself. That where he is, he says, that where I am, there you may be also. That's where we're headed. We're marching to heaven. We're living on this earth. We're walking together. Walking as a church. We're going to do God's work and God's will in the church. God, please help us to do this. Thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and took our place and even gave us some insight that we can even say there's a perspective that matters. Thank you, God, for that. Let's pray and go to the table. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for this word that he gave to Christians in Acts, to church leaders. We thank you that we could have heard this and and interacted, and we pray that you will apply it now to our lives. Help us as we live uh,
1: the gospel that has entered our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.